This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. What is the latest with the polls leading into the provincial election? We are one wing, uh, one week out. As I mentioned, uh, do the candidates' behavior uh, affect the party's chances as we head into an election? Let's bring in Jeffrey Stevens. He's a political science instructor, Wilfrid Laurier University, formerly Queens Park Bureau Chief, Ottawa columnist and managing editor for The Globe and Mail, as well as managing editor for McLean's. And with us now, Jeffrey, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Jeffrey, are you there? I am there. Thank I you for here. taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Delighted, <clears throat> Delighted to do this, Trot. Uh, we are one week out of the election. This way too close to call at this point. Still too close. Yeah, I mean the uh, the, the momentum uh, has been moving uh, for the last number of days uh, away from the uh, Conservatives and uh, and towards uh, the NDP. And uh, at this point, there's no sign that that momentum is going to shift. I thought maybe the debate. Uh, would do something, but it doesn't seem to have. The polls are still uh, moving uh, towards uh, uh, Ms. Howarth and uh, Horwath and uh, and the NDP. Uh, that being said, one week out, uh, do we have accurate representation of polls? Will polls this week determine which direction this goes in? I think I think they probably will. I uh, I would expect that there'll be uh, two or three more polls before the weekend. Uh, there have been. Uh, I think uh, five polls have been taken uh, uh, since the debate uh, so far, and uh, four of them uh, show the continuing movement towards the NDP. Um, if you get two or three more showing the same thing, I think it's going to be very hard uh, uh, for, uh, for uh, Mr. Ford and his uh, people to come back. Uh, there was one poll uh, the other day that came out, I guess, a day or so after the debate, which didn't include, uh, I think maybe just included a day after the, the debate as far as their sample, saying that the, the NDP had leveled off. Are you seeing any signs of that? I think that was the Ipsos poll, but it was almost entirely done before the debate. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not seeing any sign they leveled off. They're not increasing very much. Uh, they're pretty flat, but uh, the Conservatives are, are dropping a, a, a bit. I'm sorry. Uh, I restate that the NDP is continuing to climb a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Conservatives have flattened out, and the Liberals have dropped. And ev- the Liberal drop has gone straight to the NDP. Uh, so we, at this point, anyway, one week out, it appears we're heading for a minority government. I think we are. It looks to looks to me. I mean, the uh, the people like the CBC poll tracker will will tell you that it's likely to be a minority. Uh, more likely to be a minority conservative government than anything else. I don't think so. I think the way the, the numbers are moving, if you look at the more recent polls, uh, it's going to be, if it's going to be a minority government, it's likely to be NDP. And I think if it's going to be NDP, it's more likely to be a minority than a majority. So uh, that'll put us into a very interesting situation for the next, uh, next while. So as we head into the last week, uh, we were talking earlier about uh, candidates and candidates getting the party in trouble. We've certainly seen that on, uh, you know, early on in the campaign with with the conservatives and what happened with Patrick Brown and so on and so forth. Uh, now, of course, uh, that the NDP is is more in the uh, public eye with their increase in the polls, they are. I guess a lot of the voter, uh, the electric is electorate is kid, uh, kicking the tires and seeing what's out there, examining these parties more closely. We're we're seeing things come up uh, in regard to candidates, uh, uh, Gurtan Singh and and others such as this. Does this affect the party in any way? Well, it's really hard to tell. My sense is that it's not having a whole lot of effect on the party, uh, that uh, people are looking beyond that, uh, uh, partly because all parties are having similar problems of one sort or another. 
and uh, they tend to they tend to even out. And I, my sense is that the uh, voters are tending to go with their gut, and their gut tells them they want change. And at the moment, that's leading them to the NDP. Now, I got to tell you, I've got a bit of a, a vested interest in this because I am one of the uh, 600,000 600, Canadians whose personal data was uh, uh, stolen. Uh, uh, from uh, 407 uh, ETR hmm. and handed to the Conservatives, um, and uh, I'm not very happy about that. And uh, and uh, I think it's uh, I frankly I think that's a more serious breach than uh, than some uh, some dumb candidate saying stupid things about one thing or another. Uh, stupid things, one uh, one thing or another. H- how do you look beyond th- things that are like a sign carrying "F the police," uh, uh, calling uh, veterans warmongers? Uh, references to Hitler. I mean, well, is, does, does that not go? Does that not go beyond mudslinging? References to Hitler was one candidate sometime before, and it really wasn't. I mean, it was a bit of a joke, and uh, and uh, they decided the conservatives decided to portray it as a serious thing. I don't uh, put much faith in that. Uh, I think the signs that say "F the police" are serious, and you shouldn't do that. Uh, it affects badly on whoever did it. It doesn't necessarily uh, taint an entire party. And as I said, I don't think the public's paying much attention to that small stuff. Uh, but again, I guess I guess the point that I'm making, Jeffrey, is like you're putting mudslinging all into one category, and I would agree with that wholly. You, you know, there's been a tremendous amount of mudslinging from everybody in this campaign. But again, you, you know, we we go back to Patrick Brown and infidelities and where that ended up, and and, and I mean, this to me is is more than an infidelity. It's more than. Uh, you know, what people are doing and the bad habits that they might have. Uh, how do you separate this and put this in, in the, into the same category as, well, as frivolous car- mudslinging? The person carrying the sign was presumably not the leader of a party. Patrick Brown was a leader of a party. Uh, but he, and, uh, he is the brother of the federal NDP leader. Well, that's all right. The sins of the brother uh, do not necessarily cast on the, on the other brother. I, 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 don't, I don't buy your argument. Um, I don't think. I just think the point that I'm making is not that the person did this. The per, the, the, I guess the point that I'm making is this is a bigger deal than just than this displays more than just mudslinging. Is I guess my uh, it, point. It, it, it's it, a bit it's more serious. Very bad character uh, and behavior on the part of that person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect. It doesn't reflect on the character or quality of the party, and it is, it is obviously having no effect on the electorate. I think it's a it's a red herring at this stage, and you might as well drop it and worry about what's going to happen in the election. Uh, I'm thinking about what Andrew Horvath said about Tanya Granick-Allen and all that sort of thing. I mean, isn't that a little uh, ironic, considering where, what her position was then well, and t- where we t- are now? Tanya Granick-Allen was a contender for the leadership of the party, was a nominated candidate uh, uh, who uh, had uh, certain views on, uh, on minorities, and, uh, and uh, her, her leader decided that she uh, did not qualify to as a candidate for the Conservative Party. And if... if uh, Doug Ford reached that conclusion, and he must have had something in mind. But, I mean, the party decided not to let her run, and fair enough. Um, that's, that's their problem, but I don't think that... Do you think that Andrea think Horvath should step up and say the same thing in some of these no, examples? I don't think so, and I don't, uh, I don't think that it would have mattered a whole lot if Tanya Granigal had run and, and even been elected. Her view is not going to carry any sway whatsoever in the legislature. As we head into this last week, what is the objective of each of the party leaders moving forward? What does Andrea Horvath have to do to, to bring this home? Avoid making any mistakes. And a big mistake uh, could finish her. I mean, uh, we've seen uh, examples in the past of, uh, of uh, party leaders, uh, in provincial and federal, making serious mistakes, which, is blow, which blow them out of the water. So that's her main problem, is just to hold tight, uh, uh, press on, 
don't worry too much about Kathleen Wynne. Attack uh, Doug Ford. Uh, keep frightening people about him, and uh, and that's all she needs to do. And what about Doug Ford? Uh, Doug Ford uh, has a, a real problem because uh, his problem is the be- the more people get to know him, the less they seem to like him. Uh, I think he needs to ease off on some of his bluster uh, and some of his uh, outrageous uh, comments. Uh, I mean, he's trying to accuse the NDP of, of aligning himself with Hitler. That's, that's nonsense. This is total smear, and he knows it. Uh, now, get, get off this sort of stuff and act responsibly. Doug Ford's big problem, he doesn't look or sound like somebody who should be Premier of Ontario. Does that work for him or against him? In the against, eyes, in the, against, hang on a sec. In the eyes of the electorate, does that work for him or against him? Against him, badly. The electorate's looking for somebody who looks and sounds like a Premier. He doesn't qualify. You don't think that uh, the, the support that, that Ford has garnished to date is because he's not a politician? I think the support he's gotten to date is because he's not Kathleen Wynne. And he was the vehicle for change initially until he got overtaken by the NDP, which people decided, I guess, is a more acceptable, more credible, more respectable uh, vehicle for change. And as uh, Kathleen Wynne moves forward in this del- in election, what does she have to do? Just hang on and hope to survive. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, that's too bad. I mean, she certainly outperformed the other two at the debate. Uh, she's very smart. She's very good. Uh, her government has generally uh, provided what uh, people want, but they want change, and they are tired of the liberals, and, uh, and it's going to be a really bad election for her. I don't know whether she's going to win her seat or not. It's going to be very close. So what happens if we do end up with a minority government? How do you think the parties are going to slant? I mean, is it just typical, uh, as we've seen in the past, historically? Well, well tell, me, uh, tell me who has the most seats in the minority. You know, that's, mm. that's what you've got to look at. I mean, if it's a, if it's a minority uh, NDP government, uh, there will be, be discussions... Uh, uh, with the Liberals, I'm sure, assuming the Liberals are third. If it's a uh, minority conservative government, uh, the best they can hope is to try to pick off a few uh, uh, people from, uh, say, the Liberal Party who are more conservative uh, Liberals uh, who might be interested in a cabinet seat or something like that, if they only need, if, if the Conservatives only need two or three extra members. If they're five or six or ten short, it's not going to work. Those will be defeated in the House very quickly. If, if there are Ontarians out there that feel that Kathleen Wynne has taken the party too far to the left, if taken the Liberal Party too far to the left, she's virtually cut the NDP off at the past, or that's what she's tried to do during her election campaign. She certainly did in the last election. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if, 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 if Ontarians feel that Kathleen Wynne is taking the party too far to the left, what's the attraction in, in the NDP? Uh, the NDP, is, they're, not, uh, they're not Kathleen Wynne and they're not Doug Ford. And I think it's a combination of these Stop Ford and uh, Time for Change uh, movements, and they uh, coalesce behind the NDP. It was always a question of where the ch- Time for Change was going to go, whether it was going to stay with the Conservatives or switch to the NDP, and it appears at this point to switch to the NDP. Not overwhelmingly, so that's what's going to be really interesting a week from now. Uh, people always talk about Bob Ray and refer back to that time when referring to the NDP. Have we got past that? Have we forgotten about that? Or is that just faded into the, into the past? I think it's faded. I was interested in a poll which Abacus uh, uh, Research did uh, a week or so ago, and they asked that question about uh, the NDP, and, uh, and nobody was concerned, nobody cared. Uh, it just didn't register at all. I was surprised by that. I thought... Uh, because the amount of noise that uh, 
the Conservatives in particular have been making about the Bob Ray government, but uh, it doesn't seem to have had uh, much effect. Uh, on the, and I say at the same time, I don't think the bad experiences with Mike Harris's government is having a whole lot of effect uh, on the, the Conservative support now. People seem to look beyond that. Jeffrey Stevens is a political science instructor, Wilfrid Laurier University, formerly Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Ottawa columnist and managing editor for The Globe and Mail, as well as McLean's. Jeffrey, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Yesterday, the Canadian government announced they're going to buy the Trans Mountain Pipeline for $4.5 billion to ensure that it's going to be built. This was a project started by Kinder Morgan that was entirely privately funded. Now we're buying it. What the hell happened? Uh, Here's Finance Minister Bill Morneau. It's not, however, the intention of the Government of Canada to be a long-term owner of the project. Canada will work with investors to transfer the project and related assets to a new owner or owners in a way that ensures that the project's construction and operation will proceed in a manner that protects the public interest. Of course, lots uh, up in arms about this, wondering uh, why it couldn't be built privately and why the government delayed and now why we're on the hook for it all. And that led uh, bled over into the House of Commons. Uh, here's discussions between Finance Minister Bill Morneau and Conservative leader, uh, leader Andrew Scheer. Before the 2015 election, pipelines in this country were built without taxpayers' money. They were applied for, they were approved. And they were completed without a cent of taxpayers' dollars. The only thing that has changed between then and now is that we have a Liberal government. Mr. Speaker, the audacity of the member opposite to talk about not getting a pipeline to market, which is what he and his party were unable to do, when we have stepped forward and said that we are going to take the decision to put a project in the national interest forward so that we can create the economic advantage that we're seeking. All right, here is the CEO of the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, Tim McMillan. No, I don't think that this is the best situation. I think these are extraordinary circumstances, and we should work very hard to never find ourselves in this position again. That being said, uh, with the realities that we have in front of us today, um, I think that uh, ensuring that this project gets built uh, was essential, and uh, I won't second-guess the the levers that the federal government had to pull in the timeframes that they had. All right, let's bring in Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP and Consumer Affairs critic, analyst, GasBuddy.com. He is with us now. Dan, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Uh, yeah, it's been a long, uh, long road. How's so your blood pressure today, man? All this uh, rhetoric back and forth. I'll, I'll ask you straight out. Uh, how did we get here? How did, as Sheer said, this is the first time this has happened where we'd have to to, to put up public money for such a, a project. How did we get here? Well, I think we're really on the point of transition uh, with respect to who uh, calls shots in the country uh, and certainly in the province. And it is uh, very clearly laid at uh, those who uh, took an active role in trying to block this pipeline uh, who are responsible for what has happened. Now, we can point fingers here and there, but the reality is that environmental groups have certainly zero-targeted Canadian oil, and uh, they are determined through significant amounts of foreign funding from Washington and from Europe to stop not other oils, but our own oil. And, of course, that has had an effect. Um, you know, uh, you had the uh, CAPP, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, uh, 
uh, Tim McMillan there. Uh, only two years ago, Tim was uh, working hard with uh, the Notley government to bring forth a tax on carbon. All of these things done to try to mollify, um, I, I don't want to use the word, but I, it's appropriate here, to appease uh, a small, determined group of people outside of Canada orchestrating uh, protests and blockages within Canada. Uh, you have uh, a failed policy of trying to mollify uh, those who uh, are determined to see that fossil fuels are never used again. So what should the tr- so what should Trudeau have done? Should he just ram the thing through? What should he from, have done? Yeah, here? from the get go, yeah. I think he should have simply exerted federal authority and said, "We've made the approval. Our approval is worth its weight in gold." Uh, otherwise, we send to the rest of the world that any type of rigorous process. And by the way, the NEB progress uh, pro- process as it existed then, uh, was uh, by far and away uh, the most comprehensive worldwide. And I know that, you know, they're going to get the odd uh, folks from the environmental side saying that isn't the case, but uh, by any objective uh, uh, standard, it was very rigorous. The company went through this, the Canadian government backed it, uh, gave its approval, added 157 conditions, and still at the end of the day, couldn't seal the deal. In other words, left the company to languish. And the company basically said, look, we're not in the business of playing politics. You get your act together in Ottawa. You're either for the environmentalists or you're for us, uh, but we've got a deal here. We don't want to get involved in the politics of this. Uh, make up your mind. And the federal government, of course, rather than coming in and saying the law of the land is the following and uh, bringing in security and, and beginning the process or at least getting the ball rolling, uh, effectively didn't do that and left the company to itself. Now, would it have got? Would it would it have been stuck in court anyway? Had he had well, let's, used... let, let, let BC uh, throw all the injunctions that it wants. It yeah. can't simply change every time there's a new election. Right. Uh, you know, the fact is, a government of the day made a decision that's etched in stone. Yeah. More importantly, the constitution of the country uh, says the power of building uh, and approving uh, intra-provincial pipelines is federal authority, bar mm-hmm. none. Now. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the positive side of throwing away $4.5 billion to buy this asset, and potentially exposing uh, taxpayers to an additional 7 or $8 billion, of which a billion has already been spent building part of this uh, process? Well, you won't be getting any shenanigans from municipalities and from B.C. trying to use... So because know, the, this is now a crown corporation, it's a different set of rules. Well, it's a different, yeah, it's a nationalized company. It's, it's, and, and it is the federal government which is, takes precedent, as it always has. But this gives greater clarity and certainty. And, uh, of course, we, uh, uh, the B.C. government snuck in its uh, challenge on uh, you know, regulation of, bitum- of, of bitumen, which, of course, is nonsense. But reality is that uh, you won't be seeing any more of those kind of dilatory moves. Um, would it have been where we are now and the government sweetening the pot, would it have been inevitable? Uh, would it have been impossible to get this thing built without some sort of government interaction financially? No, this was, uh, in my view, uh, something that could have been done very easily. It's done around the world all the time. Previous uh, pipelines have never had this much trouble. No, we're in an era where you have a committed group of people prepared to break the uh, the laws of the country, uh, uh, insert themselves above the rule of law, uh, throw away all of the scientific uh, uh, and, uh, and and regulatory uh, and and legal uh, facts about this particular pipeline, and uh, we bow to them. And this is the price you pay for that kind of activism. Unfortunately, I'm hearing all too many people here in Ontario saying, oh, it's no big deal, it doesn't affect me. You know, folks, uh, you need to really, really understand that when we don't sell oil or our products on, and get international prices for for our main export, which is oil, you wind up suffering in terms of the weak 
if, if heat, Canadian dollar, which of course is costing you a lot more for all of your commodities, not just gasoline. Gasoline, I estimate, by the way, 14 cents a liter. So in the past year, unwitting and unknown to many, you probably forked an extra six or seven hundred bucks. But hey, it's uh, it's another issue, isn't it? It's, it's for BC. Now think about it because it's undermining your standard of living here in Ontario, right across the country. So what now? Construction's going to begin? I think the construction will begin once the deal is uh, is finalized. I understand the timeline is, is August, and uh, that will allow the federal government to begin construction in earnest. Uh, and I suspect that the usual characters will show up. They will do what they have to do, and uh, the federal government is going to have to uh, impose on the province because part of this is the province doing. Uh, we'll have to pay part of the share of security, and uh, these uh, lines will have to be protected uh, against uh, vandals, against uh, terrorists, eco-terrorists. Uh, and and the like, but the fact is, the interests of the country, its 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 lawful constitutional authority, has to be paramount here. And if people don't like that, well, they got another federal election coming in 2019. They can change that. And I know there's all sorts of permutations to this particular debate. My interest here is get the oil to market by hook or by crook. I'm not happy about how this came about. Scott, you and I had many discussions that the federal government should have stood up a lot earlier than waiting, ragging the puck, and playing the dilatory game along with those who are opposed to it. They now realize that it's too costly, politically and financially, uh, to go down that road of trying to appease that particular minority, who I think is uh, far too powerful in this country and needs to be cut down to size. So will we get our money back out of this pipeline? Oh yeah, oh yeah, you will. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Oil is uh, going to remain very expensive for a very long time. There's plenty of oil, plenty of commitments by companies, by shippers to use that pipeline to get uh, Canadian heavy oil to a world that, and I want to emphasize this again, wants heavy Canadian oil. You can't use tight, light shale that they have in the United States that doesn't make things uh, like diesel. So one of our biggest clients, other than Singapore, Indonesia, potentially even China, is in fact California. And you'll recall California does produce a little bit of oil. turns out it's the dirtiest in the world. So it's kind of ironic when we get uh, Hollywood-type protesters coming up to protest the oil sands in their own backyard. They're, uh, you know, they're really uh, unearthing some of the most dirty oil available in the world. But that's okay because they get a pass only because Canadians are very polite and we tend to think this is, a, you know, we have to be very accommodating here. Well, accommodation has a cost. It also makes us look like the laughing international stock uh, as far as uh, our willingness to stand up for, uh, you know, uh, our environmental uh, obligations. What about timeline? Will this be started during the summer? How long is it going to take to build this thing? Two years. So it takes about two years to build these kind of projects. You know, the Northern Gateway, which the Trudeau government rejected, uh, probably would have been built by now or close to being built. Um, the Energy East would have been halfway built by now. Uh, this one would have been well on its way were it not for, you know, uh, the government uh, waiting so long to allow uh, you know, organization after organization to sully and to, you know, to really defeat the ability for the company to build. So you're now stuck in a situation where it's, uh, it's, it's do or die. Um, they've got one simple shot at getting one more pipeline built in Canada because, frankly, the way in which the federal liberal government has saddled and changed the mandate of uh, NEB hearings and NEB approvals in the future, no company in its right mind would ever invest in Canada going forward. What about if we so just keep buying them, though, Dan? If we just keep right. buying them, won't they get built? Well, at some point, you just don't. You run out of money, don't you? You run out of other people's money, hmm. and uh, this is definitely going to be an issue that's right front and center in October of 2019. And uh, it comes down to a question of affordability. Choose your the the choose the horse you're going to back. The one that's a winner that's given Canadian Canada standard living. It's been done. 
uh, you know, both environmentally sound and, in, in, and in, from a humanitarian point of view, it's been done in a way that very few countries can emulate. Or you can choose the other, which is, uh, you know, uh, significant, well-funded, well-heeled groups around the world that are here to basically, uh, to the detriment of our economy and to the exclusion of any other country. They're here to target Canada because Canadians are just friendly people who don't mind the odd protest. This is more than protest. It is vandalism. And I think, as I said before, we need to uh, look after what's important to Canadians. Affordability, getting our number one uh, product to market that everybody wants and is scratching their head as to why we don't deliver it. Where does this leave our sunny ways prime minister? We remember that all of a sudden he came back from a trip to fly out west and sit there and, and mediate a meeting between, you know, the two sulking NDP premiers. He sort of sat there with a smug look on his face as if he was making them do something. Of course, at the end of the day, it's just writing a big check with our money. Uh, where does this leave the PM? Well, I think it leaves him in the... Uh... Uh, in, in a position where he has to begin to understand that if you want to go down this road of, uh, you know, putting climate issues in front of bread and butter issues, you're going to wind up hurting yourself. And but, but long before that, hurting people who would otherwise think this is a great thing. And that uh, I think there's, there could have been an opportunity for compromise. Um, the prime minister himself could have uh, emphasized from the get go uh, that, uh, uh, you know, the conditions by which he's giving Trans Mountain its approval two years ago is also conditional on the fact that this is not going to be blocked. He knew full well that this was going to be blocked, which, of course, uh, I think is a suggestion that uh, perhaps he ought to have simply said, in the event that it's not blocked, then I will find another alternative that is. That's Energy East and the Northern Gateway. By the way, I think the other one that no one's talking about or has simply forgotten is the Keystone XL. Um, that's the bigger one. Uh, that is likely to be back on track because we have a president in the United States who is in favor of heavy Canadian oil, um, much alarmingly, uh, unlike many Canadians and uh, certainly those who think that uh, the sky is falling, uh, the fact is that could start flowing as well. If both those projects take off in the next two years, It'll be very good for the country, certainly good for jobs, but extremely good for our uh, Canadian dollar and our uh, purchasing power, as well as being able to invest in heavy uh, and in important, uh, you know, uh, uh, environmental uh, outcomes for the kind of production that we have. Everywhere you look where there has been the extraction of, uh, of, of our heavy oil sands, you find that uh, they've been remediated to levels that uh, is nowhere comparable in the world. You said, and you've said many times on this show, Dan, that this will be the last pipeline ever built. Uh, you talked about the XL and such. What makes you think they will continue despite what's happening here? Well, the pipeline's already built to the to the U.S. border. They've just got to finish it down. Yeah, they just literally, it's one inch to the to the U.S. border. Yeah. It's not, no one's going to, you can do all you want on the Canadian side, but good luck. Yeah. As long as uh, you have administration in the United States that is very positive about getting. And is that moving forward? Market. It is moving forward. There's one court uh, decision, I think, that's left with Nebraska. Um, the company has made some amendments. Uh, there have been given a, a prince, uh, approval in principle from several states. There's still issues to deal with with landowners. That could be a sleeper issue we hear about later in the summer, uh, perhaps as early as, uh, you know, as September. We could hear a final ruling, in which case uh, all, uh, all systems go and, and greenlit all the way down to the U.S. Gulf Coast. Where does this decision uh, to buy Kinder Morgan leave Alberta and B.C. in this? The ND, two NDP governments there just going at it and being propped up by three Green members in British Columbia. Where does that leave these two governments? Well, I think both uh, are likely to face uh, an electoral test in the next year. 
I can't speak for the coalition between Green and NDP, but I can certainly uh, know that there's a time frame for the Alberta election, which is next year. Um, I think this gives us uh, a chance to, uh, as it were, uh, create a bit of a ceasefire uh, for the next couple of months um, until such time as the construction begins once again. And then some, of course, uh, uh, you know, attention being given to what the B.C. Supreme Court uh, is, will say in respect to the uh, request by the B.C. government to uh, see if it has any authority whatsoever in terms of, uh, uh, you know, oil and what's in, the, what's in it and whether or not they have any regulatory wherewithal. Because what they want to do is just throttle it down to about a third of what uh, it's intended to do. Um, I suspect that, and I, I, I do certainly don't have that legal expertise, but uh, there's been 50 or 60 references already. The court has either decided or thrown out every single one of them and has uh, pretty much uh, uh, favoured the uh, the movement of this pipeline. So I, I don't see this being any different other than holding back the company and causing you and I several billion dollars of exposure, which we'll get back down the road. The fact is that uh, these were meant as uh, political moves by the thinnest of majorities of any government in Canada, almost historically, if you think of the Greens and the NDP in BC. So you and I are going to have to fork out uh, anywhere from, you know, uh, four plus six, seven billion, possibly 11, 12 billion dollars. Uh, so, you know, we want to thank the Greens and the uh, and the NDP in BC for doing that, because, of course, it's cost all of us uh, a lot of hardship. Are you predicting mass demonstrations? Oh, I don't think it's a question of me predicting it. I think it's very clear that they are prepared to do that and yeah. uh, civil disobedience. So I think the federal government is going to have to spend a considerable more amount of time on security and uh, perhaps uh, uh, arrests will become more common uh, as uh, many of these people simply have to be locked up until uh, this matter can be resolved. Um, Where does this leave the truth and reconciliation uh, talks and, and Trudeau's relationship with uh, with Indigenous peoples? Every Indigenous uh, reserve along that pipeline has supported this and they stand to gain $400 million uh, in royalties permanently. So, you know, it's the outside uh, uh, efforts, uh, the ones who are not directly affected that are I- imposing themselves here. And uh, uh, I, I suspect that, uh, unfortunately for many of those, they're being used by the environmentalists to achieve an objective, which I think at the end of the day hmm. uh, will not help our, our First Nations and the people who desperately need and who would certainly appreciate and will benefit from uh, this massive project, which I think is in everyone's interest, including theirs. Dan McTagg has been with us, former Liberal MP and Consumer Affairs Critic Analyst, GasBuddy.com. Dan, as always, thanks for the conversation. Much appreciated. Good to be here. Have a great afternoon. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Will radical NDP candidates hurt Andrea Horvath? Uh, Matt says no. Uh, Christian says, I don't know, even more radical candidates for the conservative, Scott? Do you think they will hurt Doug Ford? No, because they're not carrying signs around that read F the police. They're not calling veterans warmongers. The NDP are beginning to make Doug Ford look like a choir boy. Let's remember what ousted Patrick Brown infidelity of a single man. That's hardly the same as carrying a sign that says F the police or making references to Hitler or cutting up veterans. I don't know. I think there's a big difference between a sign that says F the police and political mudslinging.
especially when no one's denying anything. And this is the brother of Jagmeet Singh, who is the federal NDP leader. So this is going to be a problem for the federal uh, NDP as much as it will be for the provincial NDP who are, fear, who are fielding Guritan Singh as a candidate and who is Jagmeet Singh's brother. Well, he's a lawyer now. Okay. So now is he doing what he says on the sign legally? That makes it different. Does it? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Andrea Horvath is now understanding what it's like to be a front-running political party and having her party examined the same way she's been examining the liberals and the PCs. On the other side of the house or the ledge. So I don't think this is the same. No, I don't, I don't think it is. I think there's different, differing degrees of this sort of thing. And I don't think it's just people digging. Hey, look, we found a guy with a sign. Why don't we just throw that out there? What does the sign say? F the police! Are you kidding me? Oh, that's nothing. How many? It's nothing. Everyone does that. You must have pages on your own Facebook page. Have you, have you attending a demonstration with the same sort of sign? You must. It was something you did stupid in your youth. I don't think I'd be stupid enough to walk next to a cop carrying that kind of sign. Because it's asking for trouble. Just like it is now. So, I don't know. You, oh, I just met that when I was young. I don't, I don't want to do that to the police. I just want to make them accountable. Really? Wow. That's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? It's extreme is what it is. It's radical is what it is. And when the hell are we going to get a party and a leader who sticks up for the silent majority center instead of extreme left or extreme right? Let's not forget the anarchists who beat up Lock Street were left-wingers, extreme left, anarchists. We never label that, though. But we're very quick to label the right, the alt-right, but not the extreme left. Oh, that's okay. They're not really going to do that. It's like, the, it's like the march down Lock Street. It was just one guy that got charged. And, you know, nothing really happened. It never really went anywhere. So just let it go. Really? And you're talking about someone's stiffness in front of a podium? I think there's more pressing issues. No? Feel free. Are we getting Alyssa? Where'd she go? <laughs> she heard me talking and she, she ran for her life. Uh, Alyssa Freeman standing by. Um, but yeah, you know... I, I just, I, you know, I, I just, I can't handle when everyone points to the right like they're these, you know, uh, uh, uneducated, stupid people. They're extremists. They're this, they're that. And yet we ignore the alt-left. We ignore the people in the NDP 
that are putting down veterans. We ignore the people in the NDP carrying around signs that say F the police. Are you kidding me? Doug Ford's done a lot of dumb things. I don't think he's done anything like that. You don't see him cutting up veterans. You don't see him walking around with signs saying F anybody. So where's the comparison? But it seems fine when the left does it to the right. But when the right points it out to the left, oh my God, this is just, you're just digging up dirty crap. So is it, isn't this any different than anything else? It's, but no, it's not different. Because up until now, we haven't had anything about people carrying signs like this or people being disrespectful to veterans or the poppy. This makes Doug Ford look like a choir boy. Unbelievable. And there goes the radical and extremist element that is attached to the NDP. Which Andrea Horvath will, will say something about the progressive conservatives and Tanya Granick allen but not about this? Are you kidding me? And some say, I had a prof on that said, well, that was a leader. This is just a candidate. Well, how the hell does that change anything? How does that make it right? Uh, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman. Alyssa Freeman PR. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. I always take the time for you, Scott. You I, know that. I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> so people are calling this political mudslinging. This is just more mudslinging, Alyssa. This is just dirt that all the parties are playing filthy this way. I don't know. Patrick Brown got booted out of his job for allegations that have proven to go nowhere. Uh, now we have, and, and of course, then there was the jump on Doug Ford. Doug Ford's the big bad bully. He's the big bad boogeyman. He's going to, he's just a big, look at the guy. He's just going to beat you up. And now we got people carrying signs for the NDP that say F the police. Can you put the, these two, can you put this in the same category? Listen, political mudslinging is an unofficial Olympic sport. And for one party to accuse another of it is absolutely laughable because they all do it. I don't think this is mudslinging, though. This, this is radicalism. This is extremism. Well, this is, this is a very concerted effort, Scott, by all parties, well, maybe not the NDP at the moment, but by all parties who have the resources to start looking into each and every candidate, comb their Facebook pages, comb their tweets. Everything is, you know, on the web. There's ways to chase everything down. And that's what they're doing. How else would you have found that old picture of Jagmeet Singh's uh, brother um, in a protest march against the police? And it was grainy, and they found it somewhere. So political parties, yes, are engaging in this, and they realize what the weak point of the NDP is. But and, wait a sec, we're making it like the act of searching for dirt is, yes. is a filthy act in itself. But then when you discover dirt, we're supposed to ignore it? Well, no, we're not supposed to ignore it. And we think if it's in the public interest, then we're supposed to know about it. So, you know, it's interesting because when I was on, I actually had the opportunity to talk to Andrea Horvath when I was on your Toronto station. And I asked her, I said, listen, you're number one in the polls. It's now going to get down and dirty because they see you as a threat. Um, Are you ready to respond? And how dirty do you think it's going to get? And she said to me, listen, I don't care if we criticize each other's ideologies and argue about that. That's what I think. But personal attacks, we need to stay away from. Well, 
I think that that's all gone out the window, quite frankly. I think we saw it in the debate where Andrea was kind of going down uh, a rabbit hole and attacking Doug Ford and sort of attacking his character. Uh, you know, oh, I'm glad you're with us, Doug. Oh, do you understand what that is, Doug? Sort of making him out to see a bit of a buffoon. So she's certainly not immune to that. In the meantime, in the back rooms of all these parties, they're, they're looking to exploit the weak spot. So the Conservatives find out and the Liberals find out about Jagmeet Singh's brother and other radical, as, they, as it is termed, NDP candidates to make sure that the Ontario voter knows when you're voting NDP, you're just not voting Andrea Horvath because she is a formidable campaigner. You're voting for everybody who gets involved and everybody who gets voted in. Now, conversely, the, just the other day, Doug Ford trotted out his could-be cabinet. And who is in that? Well, Christine Elliott's in that, and everybody likes her. Likes her. Caroline Mulroney's in it, and everybody likes her. So uh, Vic Fideli, like there are names, progressive conservative names, people who have been around a long time or people who are represent a fresh face that have right now great, fine, upstanding records. So I think that Doug has realized, or his campaign staff has made him realize that, listen, if you think that you can sort of win this on your own and alone, you can't. You need to show your bench strength. Yeah. And by showing his bench strength, it is in direct opposition to picking apart the lack of bench strength that the NDP has. Good point. Uh, so the sign uh, that was being carried, it's not a big deal. It's only mudslinging. Uh, you know, at what point do we look at the sign and say it's we're spending too much time uh, talking about how we got this information, as opposed to whether it's true or not, and, and how the person explains themselves. Well, I felt that... I feel I'm more hot about this than you are. Well, you know what? No, I think that, you know, somebody asked me this question yesterday. I almost said there was a bit of a statute of limitations on things. And, you know, Mr. Singh was a young man, and I'm not explaining him away, no. Scott, so yep. I don't think that, but... No. He was a young man when he did this. He was in school. He wasn't yet a practicing lawyer. And I am sure that when this came to light, there were there was a big stir in the Singh household. And, of course, it filtered all the way up to the federal level, level because, obviously, it affects his brother. So, I, I, you know, there hasn't been an example of that type of behavior since then. So am I saying give him a pass? Well, you know what, you can or you can't, but I don't think that that exemplifies the candidate now. Now, when you do get candidates who decide to put up motivational quotes with a picture of Hitler and claim that, oh, I never knew that was on my Facebook feed, oh, please, that, that, that picture was how is this for any, a couple of years. How is this any different? How is this any different? I think it depends on your own personal scale of what offends you. Mm, I see. So it's, so it's not a mass thing. Like, Man. you know, somebody can think about that Hitler picture and think, well, you know, nah. Yeah, that, whatever. I, I, I don't care about that. But, you know, someone like me will look at it, and I'm of the Jewish faith. I look at that, and I go, okay, yeah. that offends me. No, I understand. So it's, all, so it's all where it lands on your personal barometer. Scott, that's what is that's what this is all about. So why is the fact that he's a lawyer now does that change anything? So now he uses the legal system to do what he said what he said on the sign? I mean Well, I don't think that there, there's any evidence of him coming up against the police in the past 12 years. I think right. that that's it. And if there is, if there is, well, hey, I'm all for listening to it. Mm -hmm. But if there isn't, then this story did its job. It ran the news cycle for 24 hours, actually about 48 hours now, because we're still talking about it. 
And it's having the burn that the opposition wanted it to have. And the thing about when Andrew Horvath answered this question, when I said to her, you know, well, actually, I didn't ask that question, but somebody said to her, you know, what are you doing about these candidates who uh, support all these, you know, these radical ideas and that think that wearing a poppy is about, you know, uh, war terrorism and, and is really against our veterans? She says, well, I don't support their ideologies. Well, I think that that's okay to say. But what happens if that person gets in? Then what? Then do you kick them out? So this is something that has turned out to be more than a tempest in a teapot for her because people, you know, the opposition is making it that way. Uh, Obviously, this has provincial uh, implications. What about to his brother, who is Jagmeet Singh, the federal leader of the NDP? This can't can't, uh, wash well on a federal level either. Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, there was um, footage of Jagmeet Singh at a rally that supported a Sikh extremist. So there's that, too. So quite honestly, this all feeds into a narrative. Now, nobody is saying anything on the federal level right now about that. But to be sure, Scott, to be sure, the back rooms of all of these, all the political parties uh, on the provincial level, especially on the federal level, are making a list and checking it twice. And when it comes time in the run-up for the federal election, trust me, all of that is going to come out again. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Roseanne, are you surprised ABC threw in the towel? You know, here's my thought about ABC. ABC knew what they were getting into with Roseanne. It's not like, you know, her show ran from, what, 88 to 96 or something. It almost ran for 10 years. It's not like they didn't know Roseanne before. They knew about the woman who went to sing the national anthem, did it off-key, grabbed her crotch, and spat on the ground. Mm -hmm. They knew about the woman who appeared in Vanity Fair rolling in the mud as a mud wrestler. She certainly knows how to get the spotlight on herself. She also has a reputation for being difficult to work with. Um, During the tenure of the first Roseanne, before the reboot, there were writers that came and went, and there was lots of firings. So... You had to know yeah. that this is who you're dealing with. Now, maybe she, her, so obviously I think that ABC had a line in the sand. And they thought, okay, we can live with this because right now we are getting a huge share of the market. We're right. making money hand over fist because people are watching the show. And really, when is the last time people were really focused on watching a, a sitcom mm-hmm. or any show that wasn't on Netflix? Yep. So this happens. She says this absolutely abhorrent tweet that she had to know was past that line in the sand that, you know, her agency and ABC would even uh, know that that had been crossed. Try to double down on it. And even all this morning, she has been Mm. quoted and tweeting and saying it wasn't me, it was the Ambien, to the point where I think it was Sanofi, the manufacturer of Ambien. Yes, it's not a side effect. This this can help a lot of people, but the one thing that it won't do is make you a racist. I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) Yeah, racism isn't a side effect of the drug. Right. And I thought that that was absolutely brilliant. And trust me, as a communications person, those things come around once in a blue moon, let me tell you. So, you know, ABC did absolutely the right thing. But I will say, Scott, don't be surprised if in a few weeks, months, that you hear about not Roseanne, but the Connor family as the new show. That's what I was just talking about with TV critic Bill Brio, and he actually cast Tom Arnold in there. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Oh, my goodness. Well, it would be hilarious, and absolutely (laughs) you could do it, because, listen, they brought John Goodman back from the dead, I do believe. Well, and look at Two and a Half Men, same thing with Charlie Sheen. 
Well, exactly. So everybody is replaceable as long as the audience likes you, and you never know what might happen, to is, be quite honest. Does this show a shift in Hollywood, especially after the Me Too movement and such? Because a lot of people uh, are, are having a hard time believing that, that ABC would walk away from this kind of money. Um, do you think they would have done this five years ago? Why are we where we are now? I think it would have done it five years ago because I think it was just disgusting what she said. But, you know, it depends on who you are, whether you think that this is a shift. You know, I turn on uh, Saturday Night Live every every Saturday night at 11.30 p.m., and what do I see? I see them lampooning the president. You know, he could be in different compromising situations. He yeah. could be made fun of with a shirtless Putin, or they could have <laughs> him, you know, per, uh, you know, trotting around with a white hood on him you know, insinuating that he is part of the KKK. Yeah. But nobody is pulling, NBC isn't pulling that show off. They so, and then there was a lot... Michael. So it depends which side of the political spectrum you are on. And lots of political pundits are bringing that up, saying this show shouldn't have been canceled, it's the whole left-leaning Hollywood, it's all against Trump, uh, and, and then start citing other examples of this. Is that, is that, a, is that a good defense? Well, I think, again, I think it depends which side of the political spectrum you land on. I watch Alec Baldwin lampooning Trump, and I laugh my head off. And quite frankly, I look forward to that cold open every Saturday night that Mm. there's a live show. So you can see where my political leanings are. Now, there are other people than when I was going through Twitter yesterday about Roseanne who were saying, you know, Saturday Night Live, I stopped watching Kimmel. I've stopped watching all these type of shows because all they do is they they lampoon our president, and I don't like it. And that represents a large swath of America, which is what made Roseanne successful for ABC. It wasn't liberals watching Roseanne, for the most part. It was conservatives. Let me ask you this. Do you think ABC had this as a plan B all along, that this was the jettison plan? Okay, so uh, let's talk about bringing her back, sitting in a pile of people in a boardroom. You know, if we bring her back, we're going to get this, we're going to get that, we're going to get blah, 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 blah. And then someone's saying, well, you know, think of the ratings boost we'll get if this does take off. And then if it goes in the dumper, we can do this. Well, I would hope that they would have had a, cr- a crisis communications plan in place. I mean, this is a very large corporation. Or, so or even a plan to, to, to get rid of the show or even move it on. Do you think it's out of ABC's hands? What about ABC bringing it back without her? They, would, they well could do that, but there better be a great explanation about it. And I have to remember, Sarah Gilbert was the one who uh, brought the show back. And I believe that she's a liberal. I watch her sometimes on The View, and I'm fairly sure she has liberal uh, leanings. So, and, and there were episodes, for example, the one that they are putting out right now about um, uh, the Muslim episode mm-hmm. where Roseanne was on the porch covered in a scarf spying on her neighbors. And at the end of the show, they find out that, oh, Muslims aren't that bad. Now, some people look at that story arc and think, are you kidding me? And there are others who look at it and think, well, you have no idea uh, in the first place about people who voted for Trump. So you have no idea of the impact we may have had on maybe, you know, some people who watch that show. So, you know, I, I think that ABC's first decision was probably not to cancel it and to go for the apology. But then when Wanda Sykes, who's the producer, uh, when she pulled out, when Reverend Al Sharpton called, and he pulled out, and who knows how many calls rained upon the executive suite in ABC, Scott, that they just felt under the gun, under pressure, and felt that they had to act to the extreme. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, PR and pop culture expert, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. 
Thank you, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.